It's a very special privilege to uh, have been with you here yesterday and today, and I pray God's continued abundant grace and mercy in your lives for each of your individual personal challenges as well as your, your corporate collective uh, needs as a, as a group here at Bible College. I pray you'll continue to listen very, very carefully to the voice of God and sensitivity to each other, encouraging each other, uh, loving each other, uh, stimulating each other to growth and grace and to, and to walk with Christ. This evening's message is a, is a message that's very near to the heart of God. Uh, you'll discover that very near to the heart of God is God's special passion and love for the poor. And the challenge for you and for me is to allow God to give us that same passion. If you have the, any of these three scriptures, would you come quickly now to the microphone here? Proverbs 19, uh, Psalm 41, and Exodus 3. Just come right here to the platform and listen to the word of the Lord. Proverbs 19:17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and will be repaid in full. When you give to the poor, you're loaning God money. There's pretty good interest on that. And uh, Psalms 41:1. Blessed is he who has regard for the weak. The Lord delivers him in times of trouble. It's easier to never make eye contact with some of the little children on the streets of Latin America because when you make eye contact and you feel like you need to do something. But the Bible says beware when you turn your eyes away from the needy. Beware. And uh, every nation had their God. Who's the God of the slaves? Exodus 3, 7 to 10. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of the, their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of Israel has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The God of the universe says these are my people, the slave nation, that's my people. Who's the God of the slaves? Those poor people, those despised people, those useless people. And uh, what kind of a God would they have? Jehovah says, I am. I am their God. And the prophets defend the poor. Isaiah and Amos. If you have either of these passages, please come quickly. Isaiah chapter 10, God's judgment will fall on those who abuse the poor. And then Amos picks up the same theme. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Go ahead. Hear this, you who trample the needy, who do away with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sow grain, and the Sabbath ended, that we may market wheat? Skipping the measure, boosting the price, and cheating the dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. Thank you, brother. Today, I just got word that his grandfather passed away, so be praying for, for our brother, his father's father. Is that correct? He's passed away, so be in prayer for our brother. You know, it's, uh, it's very easy to see how certain industries and certain people abuse the poor and exploit the poor. 
when you're really observant, you'll discover in our own kind of ways. Uh, we, we often take advantage of people. Um, then Jesus has a word for us. What's the word from Matthew and also the brother of our Lord James? God's people also defend the poor. There's a special place in the heart of God for the poor. And the, the prophets speak on behalf of the poor and God's people. Matthew chapter 5, verse 42. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Word of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. And the brother of Jesus teaches, what does it mean to be a holiness church? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and flawless is this, to look after orphans and widows in distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The second half of that verse says, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We all say amen. That's the holiness message, right? Heart cleansing. But you notice the first half of the holiness church? Those who care for widows and orphans. This is pure and perfect religion, says James. Those who have compassion for the poor and live a holy life. Thank you. When the, when the shepherds heard the angels sing, uh, they began to question each other as they went from stable to stable looking for a child that would be wrapped in cloths in a cow feeding trough. Is there anybody so destitute, so bad off in Bethlehem tonight that they would be that poor that they would place their child with cows, rats, roaches? Is there someone that bad off? Did we misunderstand the angels? Are we sure we got it right? We're not going to find anybody in those terrible conditions, are we? And to their shock, the next stable they go to, the next cave, there is this 15-, 16-year-old young Virgin Mary having placed the newborn incarnate living God in a cow-feeding trough wrapped in cloths. And a somewhat frightened Joseph watching this whole scene. It was reaffirming to them to know the angels had sent the most humble of the shepherds, the poorest of the poor, the midnight shift, the, the least seniority shepherds came to announce, guess what? We have a Messiah. And uh, when Jesus started his ministry, he read from the prophet and he, and he reminded them that the evidence of the Messiah is that the gospel is preached to the poor. And when his cousin John was arrested and was soon to lose his life, in a moment of fear, John sends some disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the, the, the Messiah or not? And Jesus says, tell him all that's going on, all the healings, all the miracles, and tell him that the gospel is being preached to the poor. That will confirm again to my cousin that, yes, I am the Messiah. And then when the rich young ruler comes running to Jesus, uh, what, is the, what does the story tell us? That uh, he preferred his wealth. He could not let go of his money. When the, the Lord said, give all your money to the, the way to the poor, come and follow me, he wasn't demanding too much. He was offering him, I believe, an apostle's position. He told Peter, James, and John, leave your nets, resign your, your, your assignment there as fishermen. I'll make you fishers of men now. He told Matthew, resign your job as a tax collector. I want you to come with me. You may have food, you may not, but come on, full time with me. And we have been called, those of us who have been called to full-time Christian service, it's a special calling that's different than many other people. Jesus, there were a lot of people Jesus did not call to full-time Christian service. But there were some, he said, I want you to abandon and leave everything, abandon everything, Come with me. The rich young ruler was given, I believe, the privilege of being one of the inner circle, but he turned away, embraced his money. He could not let go of his cash. And then Jesus said to the disciples, you know, it really is difficult for the wealthy to get in. They can, but it's difficult. It's like a camel getting through the eye of a needle. These walled cities had 
a, a gate that was closed at sunset. Then they had this narrow passageway through the wall, big enough just for one person at a time, and the soldier inside with the sword protected the city if he had to, to kill one enemy at a time while he got some help. But if the merchant got home late and the gate was closed, he did not want to sleep with his camel outside the gate when his family was just inside the gate. So he calls to the guard inside. He throws the rope inside through the eye of the needle. And he says, you pull, and I'm going to beat this critter through the eye of the needle. I'm going to sleep in my bed tonight. And uh, with a lot of strange noises, the camel came through the eye of the needle. The wealthy can be saved. Yes, but the Lord said it's, it's, it's difficult. Did you know that it's easier for children to come to the kingdom than adults? Did you know that it's easier for the poor to embrace the kingdom than the wealthy and powerful? What does the word of the Lord say about the New Testament church? We find uh, what the, was this, how, the Acts, how the, the disciples were described, and also Paul writes to the Corinthian church. And then James also writes to the church. Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The disciples weren't super powerful, highly educated. No, they were unschooled, simple people. That's the kind of people that Jesus built his kingdom on. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 29. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. That's Paul writing a letter to the Corinthian church and reminding them you weren't much when you came to Jesus. None of you were highly educated, powerful, wealthy, influential people. You were pretty common, ordinary people. And uh, just kind of helping to remind them where they came from, which I think reminds us again, the vast majority of the Christian church around the world it's simple, ordinary, hardworking people that are poor and struggling week to week and month to month, and the month is longer than the cash, and, and they're asking for God's help. Those people are the kingdom as well. But the danger is that we start giving preference to the wealthy. Listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, says. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you sp show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep 
the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Every time we show favoritism as an individual, we sin, James says. What kind of favoritism? Well, racial prejudice is a huge category. When you just simply, because you happen to have uh, white skin, look at all the Asians and think less of them. Or because you're black, you think less of the uh, Latino, or the Latino thinks less of the Asian. Or anytime we have racial prejudice, we are discriminating against other people, and by that, it's the sin of favoritism. In the church, we're very dangerous. Uh, we're very, we're very, it's very dangerous for us to be careless because without realizing it, we will give favoritism to the wealthy. We will give them preferred places. We'll make sure they're always on the church board. We want to make sure that they're always in places of, of prominent leadership. Why is it the doctors, medical doctors, are always on the church board? Well, we, you know, we, we sometimes will discover that some people that are illiterate and very, very poor and, and uh, maybe a, a very, very courageous single mom may be more a woman of faith than some medical doctor who happens to have a lot of uh, education but may not be a necessarily the kind of church board member that would lead the church into a great, great future. We have to be very careful that we don't show favoritism. And the danger is that we'll start creating events in the church life that favor the people that have money. The Church of the Nazarene has always emphasized ministry to the poor. From the very beginning, we, we've uh, tried to go to the areas where others didn't even want to go. Uh, Dr. Phineas Brzee, when he started his church, made a big deal about the fact that the poor can sit on the front row. Well, what was that about? Well, the um, mainline churches to pay for the, for the beautiful pipe organ and other expensive uh, accoutrements of their church, they decided they would start charging a monthly pew rental fee. Uh, so the, the front pews were the most expensive, and the further back you went, the pews got less, ex less, less and less expensive, and the, the very back pews were free of charge. And so, of course, um, when, when Brzee started his church, he made a big deal about the fact that the poor can sit in the front row of the Church of the Nazarene. And the enthusiastic worship style. I mean, uh, these people were people who hadn't been to university. They weren't cultured. They didn't know Mozart from Beethoven. They weren't, you know, they simply found Jesus. And they were so glad to be delivered from their sin. Their worship services were filled with high energy and high emotion. And so much so that the tour guide, uh, some of the tour guides would say, uh, go to these various museums and go see, you know, whatever, these beautiful architectural buildings. And then, if you're curious, go by the Nazarene, Church of the Nazarene. It's kind of a circus, kind of interesting and entertaining to see them do church because as they run the aisles and scream and shout in extreme emotion. So the, the truth is the, um, the, the church, the glory barn, was so noisy that the, 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 one of the founders of the Church of the Nazarene who wrote Blessed Quietness, she finally left the Nazarene Church because she couldn't stand the, the, the chaos of Dr. Brzee's church. The, the, the tragedy for you and for me is that we subconsciously tend to favor the wealthy, the powerful, the influential. All of us want our children to do better than we. We want our children to get more education. We want them to live better than we have a better life. All of us, every nation, everybody everywhere has that same desire. So while we want to see our children improve socially, economically, in every way, the danger is then that we start wanting the church to do that, and we really get excited. 
When I went to the Dominican as a missionary, the other holiness denomination that was there was delighted to say, we have some people who now serve in Congress who are members of our church. They didn't talk to me about the Haitians who were in the country illegally, uh, who were getting saved. They didn't have those people in their church. So we decided to win the Haitians. We started working with the very, very poor. We found that the neighborhoods we were trying to reach, nobody was there but the communists. They were the only ones walking those same streets with us. They were the only ones that cared to work with the poor. And the Church of the Nazarene, we started with very, very poor. And we had a thousand Nazarenes in three years. Only two of them owned a car. And the, the explosive growth sometimes, when you're looking at it, is sometimes it's, you miss the point if you don't understand also the fact that, that we have the challenge to keep reaching the poor. Redemption and lift is what happens generation, generation, generation. And just by the very nature of the gospel, you clean up your act, you spend your money better, you quit gambling your money, you quit chasing wild women, you start bringing the money home, and, and pretty soon you get a better job, you get better wages, and you get a, a better uh, position, and then your kids do even better than that. And after three or four generations, the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren of the Glory Barn dancing Nazarenes are now highly educated PhDs and, and own their businesses, engineers, architects, and, and all the rest, who have now forgotten the city and the poor. In fact, don't even want to be around them, which causes us then the great, the great dilemma of having to reinvent the church to go back and do what we really should have been doing the whole time. When I was in the Dominican Republic, I, I told the pastors, today, on this scale of the very, very wealthy and the very, very poor, where are the Nazarenes? And I went down with my hand, tell me when to stop, I said. I got all the way down here and they said, stop. The Nazarenes are right there. I said, okay. Now, what's going to happen in 20 years, in 40 years, in 80 years, the, 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 church, the, the, the grandchildren of the Church of the Nazarene will keep rising socially. It just happens. It's going to happen. Redemption and lift is a reality. So what we have to do is keep planting churches among the poor. Every time the church continues to cycle this uh, natural change that takes place, reaching different kind of people now, we have to make sure we go back and start new churches with the poor. The tragedy is everybody wants to start a church in a wealthier neighborhood. I want to go to a more powerful neighborhood, more influential. Well, the truth is, that the poor are on the heart of God, and they need to be on my heart as well. I ask the Lord to help me then not to be overly enamored with the wealthy, influential, highly educated convert. They need Jesus. Of course they do. And we want to find strategies to reach them. But the truth is, we need to make sure that our first passion is compassion. And our first passion is the poor. Compassionate ministry to all. And we don't minister to them as some higher being ministering to a lower being. We don't do compassionate ministry to, to help those poor folk in some kind of pity. No, we love them as brothers and sisters who stand equal with us at the foot of the cross and literally give them our church. We don't, uh, we don't hold back and we put them on the board as soon as we can so that they can help us know even better how to meet the needs of the poor. God's special love for the poor and the children. My wife's going to come and finish this message and share with you a passion that she and I have, have, been, have been sharing now for the last couple of years, wherever we go. And that is the, the challenge of reaching into our pocket and loving children by sponsoring children. Church of the Nazarene sponsors 26,000 children around the world. We're going to sing Jesus Loves Me. So would you join me as we sing this song and watch the children, the pictures of the children on the... Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
children of the world, be generous and willing to share. For $25 a month, you can share your love in a personal relationship with Madagascar children, street children, or students in Pakistan, except this morning they took my last one. The joy of giving. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you again. Um, uh, a year ago, it's a year ago now, um, I was in Kansas City, and I've been a general superintendent's wife for, what, eight years, almost eight years, this summer, eight years. And um, the the leader of NCM, Compassionate Ministries, uh, Larry Bollinger, asked me, uh, he said, Tony, how would you like to be a promoter for child sponsorship? And I said, well, sure, I'd be glad to. And uh, I had done that on the mission field. I always did scholarship programs. And he said, well, um, how would you like to be a promoter? And I said, well, sure, I'd be glad to. So um, I went to his office, and, and they gave me um, Afghanistan refugees from Pakistan. I mean, they gave me a lot, and they have over 2,000 kids. Now, I'm not the only promoter, um, Herman Gishfontner, I'll say his name right, and some other ones, I mean, the missionaries, of course, are also promoting them. But the ones I have, my last one was taken this morning, and I just praise God. There are over 2,000 kids. They, there are 6,000 families that came across the mountains during the war, and they're living in Pakistan, and they hit our city where we had Nazarenes, district superintendent, and some Nazarene schools, and all these little Muslim kids are going to our schools. They have 2,000 kids in three schools. And so we've been sending money over there to help train these kids and teach them about Jesus. If you notice the picture on the wall, uh, excuse me, on, this, on the slide of the girls with their uh, coverings. In fact, all the little girls that we gave out in the last... Um, two weeks or so, all of them have everything covered, their, their hair and their nose, they just, all they have are just their eyes sticking out because they're, they're still Muslim and, and yet they're being taught in Nazarene schools about Jesus. So I'm really excited, I just praise God. Well, they just gave me a whole bunch of Madagascar children, they're street children and they need to be clothed, they need to be fed and cleaned up so that they can go to public school. Public school rejects them, they're social outcasts. And uh, they gave me how many? I forget. Six, about 60 children. And they also gave me a bunch of Bolivian children. We were just in Bolivia. Bolivia is very poor. <laughs> we were just there and, um, oh wow, I, it, it was tough. That I go, you know, Jesus, if I can do this, I'll do it for your honor and glory. Well, I'm going to tell you real quick what this verse means in Greek. I have a few Greek words um, defined here, and then I have one more story to tell you. If I, do I have time? Okay, okay in, um, in Greek, well, the word give is didomai. That's all you have to do, just give. All you do is give. And then what happens? It will be given to you. It's another form of give. A good measure. 
It will be pressed down. This is, this, the verb form of this is piezo. It means to press or to squeeze down, to make compact with pressure. Now that's the way God gives back to you. All you have to do is give. You just give what he tells you. And then what God does, okay, he squeezes it down and, and he presses it down and he makes it compact with pressure. The next word is um, he shakes it together. This verb is um, the verb form saluo. Saluo, that's the first verb I learned in Greek anyways. Luo, it means to make, to rock, to shake, to stir up, excite, or agitate. And I think that when we give into God's kingdom, we not only, we actually are shaking up God's kingdom. In other words, God's kingdom is going to change and things are going to happen because we have given into uh, we've, we've, we've knocked down Satan's kingdom because of our giving. Saluo, to make, to rock, to shake, to stir up, excite, agitate. Okay, and then the last one is to run over. What happens when God gives back to us? Now, this is all the stuff when God gives back to us. He presses it together. He shakes it up. And the last one is uper ekchuno. And this, this is ekchuno is to... Um, to um, run or to pour out, ek, and then uper is, but to run over is the hooper, uper, when English, hooper in English and uper. And, okay, and so what God does is that he makes it flow abundantly out. All we have to do is give. Give, and keep giving, and keep giving, keep giving. Do I have time for my story? Okay, my story. Some of you heard it this morning. Um, we were missionaries in Dominican Republic. My husband's already talked about the, D the DR, and we had never, you know, like just given a lot. I mean, we would always give our tithe. In our first church, we gave our tithe. We gave missions, and, and I worked. I worked, at a, uh, I worked at a high school, and Jerry, of course, worked. he worked at a print shop. We had a lot of bills, and he was pastor. We worked at the print shop, and I worked at the school when we first pastored. But, and God took care of us. I mean, uh, you know, those, we have so many stories about that. But when we became missionaries, we were there for three years, and um, our director was Louis Bussell, and he had gone. He had gone back on, on furlough. So Jerry now was interim mission director. We still were treasurer. We still had the treasury books. And I would work on the treasury books. That is not my field. <laughs> I can spend money, but I don't know how to organize it. <laughs> Anyways, so, um, but I would work on the books, and I realized that Christmas was coming. It was the month of November, and Christmas was coming, and it was customary in in the country of the Dominican Republic to give a bonus to your employees. Well, we had about 30 pastors at that time. We had about 500 and some members in, in our, after two years of a lot of church planning. Jerry and I started six churches our first year, believe it or not, right? Anyways, and so um, we were like, uh, I looked at the books and I thought, well, we don't have any extra money. We didn't have any. And the pastors, they would get a descending uh, pay rate because you would, we would start them at one salary, and then as the church would grow and the people would start paying them, then we would decrease their salaries so that, that we could start other churches and, and then help those people, get, those pastors get a salary. I mean, you know, a, a, a Kansas City only gives you so much uh, money for your, for your pastors. So anyways, that was kind of the thing. And, and, and we looked at the books and, oh, there's no extra money for Christmas. And I was kind of sad about that. Well, at the same time, November, we were starting another church in San Francisco de Margaris. So every night, Jerry would drive across the capital on paved road and then hit the dirt roads and two hours into the village area. 
Well, I wasn't going with him, and then on a Friday night or Saturday night, whatever it was, he asked me to go with him. So I went with him that night, and we were in the car, and we had two student pastors in the back seat. The kids were staying with, I had house help, and they were the children, my babies, they were still babies. Uh, Bill was just born, and Amy was about mm, almost two. And so my children were staying with the people, with my, my girls there in the, the, my house in the capital. But I went with Jerry that night. And so we're driving in the car, and it's, we've now passed all the paved road, and now we're on the, the uh, dirt road back to the village, two hours of driving on the dirt road. And, and we were listening to a tape from Pasadena, California, uh, from um, Dr. Earl Lee's church. Now, Dr. Earl Lee built a great church there in California, and he was, he was asking his people if they would give offerings to help build the church. So all the people were giving offerings. Well, there was a man in the congregation who did not have a job. And this is the story on the tape. The man didn't have a job, and he, he told the pastor, he said, if God will give me a job, I will give the first month's salary of my job to the building of this church. So on the tape, it said that the man received his job and that he gave his whole month's salary to the building of this new building. Well, right then, our car stopped, and it was going boom, 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 whatever, and it, we had a flat tire. So Jerry had to get, stop the car and get out, and he and the two guys in the back seat helped Jerry change the tire, and I was sitting there in the total darkness, and except the moon was coming, well, the moon line was there, and it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, Tony, you've been worried about giving a bonus to the pastors. When your December check comes in, give your whole month's salary away. So I said, okay, okay. So Jerry got back in the car, and now we're driving again. And I say, Jerry, guess what the Holy Spirit told me? He said, what did the Holy Spirit tell you? Because now we weren't listening to the tape. The story was over, right? And uh, I said, you know, I said, um, you know the story about the man who gave his full month salary for, for the building? The Holy Spirit told me to give our whole December check for our pastors so that they can get a little extra bonus for Christmas. He said, what? I said, I said, the Holy Spirit said that we are supposed to give our home on salary for the month of December. He said, we can't do that. What? What are you talking about? I said, the tape, remember the man? And I had to tell him, you know, and you know, you have to tell men three times, then they understand, right? So anyways, I said, God told me to give our home on salary for the month of December. Now, we didn't have any savings. We had at that. We started our savings program about several years later. We had no savings. We had. We would live from month to month when we were first missionaries for the first five years or so, and um, and uh, so when we we had the service that night, and then we drove back to the capital and dropped the the pastor student pastors off at their churches where or their homes wherever they were living, and we went back to our home. Well, the next day or so, our December check came in, and I said, here it is. Let's sign it over. And we signed it over in the books to pastor salaries. And we gave all 30 pastors a bonus from our salary check. Someone else had sent an offering. My grandmother had sent an offering, not very big. And we took all that money and divided it up among 30 pastors so that they would have a nice Christmas. Our checkbook said $12 for the whole month of December. We were like, okay, well, 
ice didn't go to the grocery store, and you know, we had peanut butter and chocolate chips from work and witness teams, and we had rice, we always have rice, and, and we had some hamburger, and you know, we got through the whole month. I mean, we did. And, um, and then about, uh, we had just, oh, I forgot to tell you, we had our district assembly in the month of December, and we doubled membership that year. We went over a thousand. And we had a fabulous district assembly with Dr. Strickland. Well, he went home, and now it was time for Christmas. And I was making some chocolate chip cookies. And uh, I had enough ingredients, the chocolate chips from Work and Witness, and flour, and sugar, and butter, and eggs. And I was making these cookies. And um, I, got a uh, I received a telephone call. And I have $12 in the checkbook and no Christmas. I mean, we're, we don't have anything. And I received a phone call, and it was Dr. Gerald Johnson. He was the director of World Mission at the time. And he said, Tony, are you sitting down? I said, oh, he told me, no, he said, Tony, you need to sit down. I have something to tell you. And I said, okay, but I really didn't sit down. But anyways, <laughs> so um, he said, um, Tony, um, we want the, the, the world... The World Mission Department wants you and Jerry to go home for Christmas. We are going to be transferring you to another country. I said, what? He said, we're going to transfer you to Costa Rica, and we want you to go home for Christmas and be with your family. He said, where's Jerry? I said, well, he's downtown. He's not here. He said, well, you call him, and you tell him what I said. And, and you have him call me. And I said, well, Dr. Johnson, we don't want to leave the Dominican Republic. We love it here. And he said, Tony, this is an order from the general board. And I said, oh, okay. So I hang up the phone, and I call Jerry on two-meter CBs. We didn't, that's the way you called in the, those days. And uh, I called him out, and I said, guess what? We're being transferred, and we get to go home for Christmas. And uh, he was like, what? And I said, Dr. Johnson called. Come home and call him on the phone. You have to find out what we're supposed to do. So Jerry came home, and sure enough, they sent us home for Christmas. And uh, I had a, we had a wonderful Christmas with my mom and dad and gifts and turkey and all, dressing. And I wouldn't have had, we, we didn't have that in the DR. And then we went to Kansas City, and we, sure enough, received new orders to go back to Dominican, pack our things and be, we're, we're being sent to Costa Rica. We uh, were in Costa Rica, and we did scholarship programs. And one month, we didn't receive our allocation from Kansas City. And Jerry says, Tony, we didn't receive the allocation from Kansas City. I said, well, give our month's salary. He said, we can't do that. I said, yes, we can. We gave it. Within two days, we received a phone call from Florida. They wanted us to come, Jerry, to come to preach. And they gave him twice the amount of money we gave away. Do you know how many times it's happened in our life? Do you know? One time we gave and God didn't give anything back. The rest of the times, I believe God has blessed us. Let's say this verse together. I don't know how God works in your life. I know how he's worked in our life. You just, he just takes care of you. All right, let's say this verse together. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Thank you. I challenge you as you continue your studies and then take your ministry assignments. Let's uh, get close to the heart of God. Let's keep a heart that's sensitive to the poor. Let's keep a heart that's sensitive to children. 
And by the grace of God, let's build ministry that reaches children and poor and then goes from there to reach all the people of a given community. And God will honor your ministry as you have a sensitive heart to the things that touch God's heart. If you are interested and want to see some of the pictures of children who need to be sponsored, Tony's going to be here after the service. Father, thank you for identifying with us in Jesus in birth, in ministry. Lord, you were poor your whole career. And uh, the poorest of us can identify with you, Lord, and you with us. Help the church to minister to all of society with a special heart of compassion. In thy name we pray. Amen. God bless. It's been great being with you.